All right. I'm going to kill you. So. <laughs> so we are together. In person. In person, um, which is exciting. We are in my apartment, and I'm just excited. To, we haven't seen each other. Yeah. Like, you've had my water bottle. Yeah. For probably a month and a half. Yeah. It's still in my car. Yeah. We will get it. So I'm glad that I'm going to be reunited with my water bottle. Definitely. Um, big stuff has been happening. I had my last day at LADOT yesterday, and I'm taking, like, a month off before I start a new job, which I'm so excited about. I know. I'm so happy for you. And I'm starting probably the same week we start school. So that's yeah. going to be... Stressful. A crazy week yeah of me literally going from not commuting to do anything ever and now I have to commute to work and school absolutely yeah just the thought of going back to school for me has been like really stressful only because I do feel like that commute yeah like I was so happy well you have yeah you have a gnarly commute yeah mine's not that bad I just complain yeah but I do think just having to commute again like four hours of my day yeah for a round trip is just just the thought of it is too much (laughs) yeah but I am excited to go back like I I honestly like kind of am in this mindset of like I'm ready yeah I'm ready to go back I'm ready to like be around our cohort and like be in the classroom again yeah I have to say I really love school going to school being a student me too I'm very much looking forward mm-hmm. to that, and I feel like it also really kept me busy, gave me a lot of structure. I felt a lot better having a lot to do. Like, I yeah. really enjoy being busy, so I think that is one thing that I'm also really looking forward to, as well as just learning so much more, because mm-hmm. I just feel like there is so much more to learn. So much. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Well, soon, in a couple mm-hmm. weeks, we'll yeah. be... We'll be back at school, so we can. We'll see if we can still do one episode a week. Yeah, we, if we can, we will. We will. We will. No, someone messaged us on our Instagram and was like, "Wow, you guys just keep releasing them. Like, good on you." And I was like, "Yeah, we are. Uh, we're grinding. We're out here." Yeah. But I feel like Fridays will be super easy. Yeah. I, we both don't have class. Yeah. And work. I end work at four thirty on yeah. Friday, so I feel like we'll be good yeah even if they're on zoom yeah we'll make do yes ma'am hey welcome to urban planning is not boring i'm sam and i'm not but today we're talking about a topic that was requested yeah. on our instagram which is exciting there was actually a lot of requests I was so like happy. i was so surprised yeah um, we're, it's going to take us a while to get through those and we're definitely going to want to have like some experts, some guests mm-hmm. for some of them. Definitely. This one, I think we felt a little bit more comfortable kind of diving in on our own. Mm-hmm. Um, just what is zoning? Why do we have it? What, what, what does it do? And then our second episode, um, of this little series, will go into like the impacts of zoning, the history of zoning, yeah. why it's harmful, why it needs reform. Yeah, Definitely. So, yeah, we'll just jump right in. Yeah. So, okay, zoning, according to Oxford Dictionary, is a system of laws restricting how particular areas of land can be used and what can be built on the land, which basically means that it governs, like, how different... 
places in a city will have like different rules for what and what can't be what can't and cannot be built there yeah and we're more specifically so for this episode we're specifically talking about los angeles yeah only because los angeles does have very specific zoning requirements and so it was really easy for us to just get all that information for you guys yeah and it's kind of like our home base like it's it's easier to talk about zoning in terms of a case study or like a specific place because really like a lot of cities have different zoning codes Mm -hmm. so it would be impossible to talk about every single one yeah Yeah, like just (laughs) Would never want to do yeah, that. Just every our series is every state <laughs> every in city. the US. <laughs> every state, every city. Yeah. Um, but so currently a lot of places use like a form of zoning called Euclidean zoning. And I'm pretty sure it's named after like someone with the name Euclid. Mm-hmm. Or no, not someone. The court case. Yeah. Euclid mm-hmm. versus someone yeah. that I can't remember. But it's the most common form of land use regulation in the United States, and it is characterized by the separation of land uses classified under broad categories such as agricultural, residential, commercial, and industrial, among others. And there are a wide variety of different categories that this type of zoning um, regulates, and so one of them being typology, um, which basically is like residential, like houses and versus like commercial versus industrial, like the different types of structures. Mm-hmm. And then do you want to go through some of them? Because yeah. I'm not as confident in defining the others. <laughs> yeah. So um, there are a couple of other categories that are involved in zoning regulations. So one of them is also density, which is essentially just how many units you can build in a given space and that's where there are also if you've ever heard of things called density bonuses this is essentially where certain projects are awarded a density bonus based on certain factors that they meet and one of those is transit-oriented development Mm -hmm. and so this is where if your project is within a certain distance of a transit center or station or near a bus uh, a bus line mm-hmm. you get more density for your project meaning you can build more units mm-hmm. on that parcel yeah. um then there's also another category known as floor area ratio um so this is essentially how much of the building can be built on a parcel and so essentially it's to state there's an example that you can use where you have a 1,000 square foot house built on a 2,000 square foot parcel of land and so your floor area ratio would be 0.5 and it's basically the division of that so it's the ratio of how much floor is built on a parcel um, square mm-hmm. footage wise and so that's essentially your floor area ratio it's a little like complicated to explain yeah um but essentially just think of it as you're never seeing a building cover an entire parcel yeah and so you would consider that of course the building is always going to be smaller than the parcel of land yeah and that's where you get into your your floor area ratio when you said that, it kind of clicked. Yeah. Like, even when we were learning this in class, I was so... Con- <laughs> when the professor would be like, calculate the floor, I was like, I can't even begin to understand how you do that. Yeah. But the floor hyphen area. Mm-hmm. 
That makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. The floor, the literal floor. Yep. To the literal area of the parcel. Exactly. And the ratio. Exactly. That, when I break it down like that, makes it easier to understand. Yeah. I still get confused when there's like multiple floors and whatever. Like, I don't know. That still confuses me, but I think it's, it's starting to click a little bit more. Yeah. I definitely need to look up floor area ratio a little bit more because I do wonder, like you just mentioned, like floors. Yeah. I'm curious, like... That's actually something that I really should look into because is it just your bottom floor that determines your floor area ratio? And then, then it can't when you be. get into but then when you get into density, that's when uh, you're starting to understand like density plays into your floor area ratio. Yeah. So it is very Yeah, what very happens if you just build up and not out? Exactly. Yeah, I have no idea. So yeah. Can't even begin to guess. Well, we're gonna get back to you on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, <Ain't> <laughs> but so one of the other uh, categories is height, which pretty self-explanatory, but it just essentially determine it's the determination of how tall a building can be, um, and they explain that this can be done in both you know terms of numbers of floors as well as in feet uh, height wise. Um, then there's your setback, and so that's essentially what we were talking about when we discussed floor area ratio. Is a building is never the entire size of a parcel you have setbacks. So that means the distance between the sidewalk and the front of your building, or I'm sorry, not sidewalk, the uh, property line. Mm -hmm. So the distance of your your building from the property line on all four sides of your parcel. Um, So they have something known as frontage, and then basically your side setback and your back setback. Um, And then the final one is parking, which determines how many parking spaces you um, are required to put on a given project so often you know retail has the most requirement for parking spaces because of the amount of people it's accommodating uh when you are expecting you know x amount of people to be uh coming to your retail center Mm -hmm. um and so there's a lot of parking requirements there for residential that's another one that requires a lot of parking however there are again more bonuses or essentially incentive incentives Mm -hmm. that developers get because parking is one of the most expensive things to build yeah um it's like ridiculous i think there's like i read something where it's like forty five thousand dollars per parking space if you do underground um Mm -hmm. parking they're ridiculously like for one space it's insane how expensive Mm -hmm. a parking space Mm -hmm. is so one incentive is when you build a project that's next to transit, you are also getting like 50% of the parking required than you know normally mm-hmm. would be required. So that's another incentive for development. Yeah. Sometimes when I hear people say like, why don't we just put all the parking underground? Oh, absolutely I'm like, not. <laughs> in a, in like a, in a ideal, yeah. you know, in a we, perfect world. you know, we, we probably would have done that. Yeah. But do you know how hard it is mm-hmm. when you already have a built-out city to then dig parking under? Yeah. You also have to consider, too, like, people make it sound so easy yeah. as if, like, oh, just dig underground. Do you know how expensive those machines are? Yeah. 
how expensive it is to actually dig how long it takes and then what do you actually do with the material that uh -huh. you're digging like what happens to that dirt where do you put it <laughs> like there's really a lot of stuff to kind of like where does the dirt go <laughs> like where are you putting that and it's not just dirt you're no, also yeah. you have to do studies to make sure you're not hitting anything underneath yeah you have to make sure that there are right-of-ways that you're you know yeah. making sure that you have to get special permits for when you're digging yeah. underneath stuff the stuff that people can end up finding underground when they start digging is really insane. Yeah. You know, so it's not really simple and that's why it's so expensive. Yeah. So unfortunately it's not as simple as, you know, just dig underground. Just do it. Yeah. I think someone had, I swear to God, I think it was Elon Musk who said this. It was someone <laughs> famous who said, we need to start putting housing underground. Oh. <laughs> Seasonal depression all year round. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I that's just, like the um that building the housing um that they're proposing at ucsb the dorm with oh, no windows yes. yeah the where dorm, it's yep. just the how do you call them virtual window yeah where it is synced with a circadian or i guess with whatever right the sun looks like outside yeah how depressing. Yeah. Also, have you ever, like, tried to use one of those egg-shaped alarms that, like, is supposed to mimic the sun and wake you up? No, but I've seen ads for okay, it. Okay, so I bought one one time, oh. thinking, like, maybe this will... Absolutely Does not. it make no sound and it just lights up? It makes no sound and it just lights up like a sunrise. And it's supposed to be like, oh, this is mimicking, like, how your body's natural response is to mm -hmm. light. No. No. I slept right through it. Yeah. <laughs> like, Wouldn't work for me because I leave the blinds in my apartment open. Yeah. Sun rises early. I'll yeah. wake up at nine. No yep. problem. I won't even yeah. flinch when the sun comes up. Exactly. So I don't think that's like the solution. I need an aggressive sound to wake me up out exactly. of a, yeah. like out of a REM sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyhow, <laughs> <laughs> I digress. Um, so as we said before, there's kind of like a few main zoning types in this Euclidean style zoning, residential commercial and industrial um the letters that represent those are r c and m with m being industrial but standing for manufacturing so we're not going to dive into like the specific like r1 r2 r3 right, yeah. it's a lot mm -hmm. um basically it just determines like what is a single family zone versus where you can have apartments yeah um or like multi-family homes and then height districts yeah yeah so i think the numbers represent like how high you can build essentially and those are your height districts okay so when you see those just know that you know the letter stands for what typology and mm -hmm. the number is usually what kind of height district you're going to be in okay yeah it's like best practice yeah so going from there we can talk a little bit about rena yeah yeah, I worked on when I was my very first internship when I was an undergrad, I was in the School of Public Policy at East Riverside. I got an internship working for the Western Riverside Council of Governments. Mm. And my very first job, because I was in their housing and uh, transportation department, was I dealt with RENA because okay. the the cycle of RENA had started right when I started working. Okay. And so I remember I had to attend every SCAG meeting. And I was doing so much research on RENA and SCAG was trying to put out a, you know, there were proposals for different methodologies mm -hmm. of how they were going to calculate the assessment. Okay. And I'll never forget, they came out, HCD dropped the number, 1.167 million homes are required for the SCAG region. So 
for just Southern just California. Region. So Skag Region Incorporate is involved. It's 191 cities and okay. six counties. Wow. So we had the requirement of 1.167, I believe was the number. Yeah. 1.167 million. And every single city council member, and that's a bit dramatic because not every single one, but most of them yeah. were like, absolutely not. We're not going to even get anywhere close to that. So why is HCD even requiring this? Wait, what is HCD? So HCD is the um, Department of Housing and Community Development Okay. in the state level. And okay. so HCD is the one that gives the, essentially the RENA determination. Okay. They send and it RENA, down. Uh-huh. RENA is Regional Housing Needs Assessment Correct. for anyone unfamiliar. Yes, sorry. Yes, I should clarify. So the Regional Housing Needs Assessment is the short, shortened version. We call it RENA. And um, my dad calls it Rana. <laughs> I can just hear him. Yeah. My dad's... I'm Sarah. That's Rana. Yeah. My dad's Jordanian accent is like, Rana. I'm like, dad, it's Rena. Um, but yeah. So HCD is the state level that determines the, the allocation. But basically, HCD sends down that number, mm-hmm. that determination, to the MOU. I'm sorry, the MPO, the Metropolitan Planning. Okay, I was like a mem- memorandum. Yeah, <laughs> memorandum of understanding. Yeah. I'm like so in the metro zone because yeah. we have so many MOUs. Yeah. But yeah, so the Metropolitan Planning Organization, so SCAG, uh, okay. basically gets that determination and then they incorporate a methodology. And the methodology is how they allocate and separate that 1.167 across the cities. Across the cities. Okay. So you have 191 cities and we're allocating 1.167 million. Yeah. Now you have to imagine that the methodology wasn't going to be simple because yeah. these cities are over here like like Beverly Hills. Yeah. He was at every meeting. Yeah. No, it just essentially imagine a NIMBY and that's basically what what it was like yeah. um, hearing him speak. So uh, you have these determinations and Essentially, this is where we get into the zoning because RENA is not a requirement to build the housing. It's a requirement to zone for the housing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of cities will say, oh, we're built out. Mm -hmm. We don't have the capacity, X, Y, Z. And that's where zoning comes in because zoning is really where you make room and Mm -hmm. space to accommodate your requirements. Yeah. Um, and so it's very complicated. It's really nuanced, but Rena, this, this last cycle, I believe this is the eighth cycle was the most just controversial because of how high the number was. Yeah. It was just insane. I mean, this was like never before seen numbers, but the problem is that because Rena doesn't actually require the housing to get built. Yeah. Typically it just doesn't get built. And so we've got a backlog now. Yeah. Um, so basically backtrack a little bit. Mm-hmm. We, so we established what it stands for regional housing needs assessment. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to read how it's defined because mm-hmm. I think that's helpful, but it is a California state mandate that governs how cities in the state must plan for key plan for yes. the housing needs of residents, no matter what their income level is. Yes. And I think that just to clarify like why this assessment is brought in when we talk about zoning. Mm-hmm. One, like you said, it is how cities will plan for and zone for these units that we need to build. Mm-hmm. But also, 
we do have a lot of exclusionary zoning in the sense that there are a lot of places in LA Mm -hmm. and across these six counties where you are restricted to single family homes. And so with that method of zoning, it's really hard to meet these allocations. Definitely, because you need density. You need density. You need multifamily housing units. Yeah. You need apartment complexes to accommodate this. And when you have cities that are like, absolutely no multifamily complexes in my community. Mm-hmm. And so then it becomes this conversation of, okay, so you're just, you have, you literally want no housing in your, yeah. in your community. And you're required to plan for this. Yeah. And you literally have city council members that are like, no, yeah. I refuse. When I went to the SCAG meeting, I will never, ever, ever forget this. And I'm not going to say who it was mm-hmm. because I know them personally. Um, they made a comment and said, well, why can't we put all of our, and they were talking about their city. Yeah. Why can't we put all of our arena out in Coachella Valley? Because Coachella Valley has so much space. We don't have any space in our city. So let's go put all the housing out in Coachella Valley. Why can't we give them their arena numbers? And if you think about that, Coachella Valley maybe has 8,000 jobs. Coachella Valley has a very small population and very little jobs available for residents. So you want to stick a bunch of housing, basically urban sprawl, you want to stick a bunch of housing out in the middle of nowhere, and there are no jobs to accommodate the residents that would be moving there. So then again, you would have residents moving out to Coachella Valley and then driving inland into the inner city to work. Okay, well then now we're just already increasing VMT, increasing pollution. You're adding all of these other hosts of issues forward. So yeah, maybe it's a little bit less expensive to live, but your quality of life is severely diminished by just being pushed out into, you know, these sprawling communities. It's absolutely ridiculous, like some of the comments that city council members were making. Yes. Well, they will do whatever they can to avoid avoid. paying and changing the quote character. Yeah. Of their city. Yes. Um, But just as an example, um, Rena exhorted Los Angeles to approve 36,779 very low, low, and moderate income units from 2013 to 2021, but only stamped 7,283 units, which is like basically 30,000 units too few. Yeah. And that's just in... Los Angeles. And from what I remember from our planning law class, LA was actually doing decent on its RENA allocations Mm -hmm. as opposed to other cities in the area. Yeah. Because you also think like the city of Los Angeles is quite dense. Yeah. And so they're not really opponents to, you know, apartment complexes and things like that. Communities like, you know, Riverside and Rancho Cucamonga and like these suburban communities, mm-hmm. Beverly Hills. You think Beverly Hills is going to advocate for apartment complexes? Absolutely not. Yeah. And so these are the individuals that are really pushing back on their arena numbers. Yeah. And there are, and you'll find, you can look up any, you know, you can look up permits that were um, executed in cities, and you'll find that they're nowhere close to their arena allocations across all cycles. And RENA cycles are every eight years. Okay. So, oh, okay. So I think, I believe that we were at our sixth RENA cycle and each cycle is eight years. So so it's like 50 years, basically. Exactly. So you get your 
you get eight years essentially to plan to accommodate growth. They're not saying like you need to accommodate all this growth in one year. You have one year to do it. Yeah. It's an eight year cycle. Yeah. So it is very, you know, interesting that so many cities are just so apprehensive to this to accommodate that growth because it's not something you can reject. Yeah. I'm trying to look for this article that I read on the New York Times. And it was about how, like, the housing crisis isn't just a coastal problem anymore and, like, the whole entire country needs housing. Mm -hmm. Because it used to just be, like, the heavily populated urban coastal cities really needed housing and now it's everywhere. And I just... It really just makes me so sad that we're in the middle of, like, this huge housing crisis and people are so concerned with preserving this kind of archaic way of, I don't know, living. And I feel like it's hard because a lot of people want their plot of land. They want their house. Yeah. I think it's important to also understand that being in a housing crisis, and I've heard this like so much. I mean, the amount of TikTok videos of people saying, we have enough housing to house every single homeless person or Uh we have enough space to accommodate every single person homeless or housed you know in the in the entire country yes that may be true but you also need to consider that we're not just talking about housing and space yeah we're talking about housing where people want housing yeah close to jobs close to entertainment close to family, close yeah. to whatever the person's preference is, yeah. you, we have a housing shortage in the sense that we have a housing shortage slash crisis because there's not enough housing in the places people need it. Yeah. And so I think that's something to really focus on because that's when we do begin to understand that it's not just a problem affecting California or the state of California, it is affecting everywhere yeah. because we can't continue to build housing in rural communities where it takes you four hours to get to your nearest hospital. Yeah. That's just not something that can continue to happen. Mm -hmm. And so it does become a problem of where are we going to put housing that also is next to resources and essentials that are going to provide people with the highest quality of life. Yeah. So I think that's definitely something that needs to be considered when we, when we're discussing, you know, housing crisis and housing shortages, because a lot of people will make the argument that like, oh, we don't actually have a housing crisis or shortage. Because yes, if we can look at simple numbers, sure, on paper, everything looks completely fine. Mm -hmm. But when we actually get down to it, this, we're not planning on paper, we're planning for literal human beings. Yeah, So exactly. Very complicated. Yeah, so insert Senate Bill 9. Yeah, yes. SB 9. The newest. Big buzzwordy type of bill. Yes. Essentially, like, the slogan everywhere was single family zoning was officially has come to an end. Yeah. The end of single family zoning. Yeah. And it was this big headline and it was this kind of hope of like, oh my God, we're finally, you know, doing away with single family zoning. This is really like big change. And yes, I think the fact that it passed was really great, but I think there are a lot of things to consider that you know, this doesn't simply do away with single family zoning because it's actually a little bit more complicated. So SB9 was introduced as a bill which essentially allows homeowners to subdivide their plot of land or parcels of land 
in half. So you can do two, you now essentially, you're a homeowner of one parcel, you can now subdivide your lot into two parcels. Mm -hmm. And then on each of those parcels, you're now allowed to build two small structures or buildings, yeah. houses. And so this essentially created, instead of having a single family home, you could, you could have a duplex. The intention behind it was to increase generational wealth, allow people to make an income by essentially building three other units and mm -hmm. renting those out or accommodating family members. If you have multi-generational family, mm -hmm. you can provide them with housing mm -hmm. options so that they don't have to go out and buy a home. Mm -hmm. But there are some challenges mm -hmm. because SB9 requires, and this was also done with good intentions to make sure that developers weren't knocking on people's doors and saying, hey, I'll give you you know, $500,000 for yeah. your, your parcel if you just give me your keys. Yeah. So this was basically to avoid cash for keys. Um, so the requirement is that if you are the owner of this parcel of land and you choose to participate in SB9s, uh, you know, uh, basically participate in subdividing your lot mm -hmm. and building those, those additional units, you are required to live on the property for mm -hmm. three years. And so you essentially become the landlord. The problem with that is you cannot sell your land to yeah. a developer and no developer is because developers are constantly building new properties. Yeah. No developer is going to buy your land and then live on it yeah. to get three buildings yeah. when they can just buy another parcel and you know build as much as they want. Right. So the problem becomes you, the homeowner and landowner essentially become responsible for building the properties managing the properties you essentially become the landlord mm -hmm. i'm not the most familiar with all of the nuances of sb9 mm -hmm. but that was a really big problem in from my perspective because really what single family homeowner is going to participate especially when i was reading like there aren't a lot of incentives associated with uh -huh. sb9 that provide financial support yeah or much help to the individual who wants to participate in building a fourplex. Yeah. So it does essentially cause, you know, some challenges with how effective SB9 is actually going to be. Mm -hmm. um, but it was a really, really like hot topic for, you know, a few weeks after it passed was yeah. like, this is so, you know, such an advanced step. Yeah. I haven't done too much research on SB9, so I don't know like what has come of it since it passed, uh -huh. like how many people have participated. Yeah. But I was just reading right now that apparently there was an analysis and in the state of California, there were only like 500,000 parcels identified as even being possible to participate in SB9. Mm -hmm. And so that means you're having very few that are actually even going to execute, yeah. uh, you know, a fourplex through SB9. So mm -hmm. it's interesting to see like what's going to come of that. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that strikes me is just like the upfront investment yeah. by the homeowner. And I think, you know, I'm reading here um, this Senate website, it says the families who own these properties could provide affordable rental opportunities for other working families who may be struggling to find a rental home in their price range or who may be looking for their own path to home ownership. Mm -hmm. And I hate to be the pessimist, but I feel like if you are a homeowner mm -hmm. and you are doing this, it is to make as much money as possible right. because you're putting in so much up front yeah. to 
subdivide and then build three, two, I guess one, two, three other, however many. Exactly. So you're not going to just say, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe there are, I'm sure that there are some people that are going to do it out of the goodness of their heart, but a lot of people are going to say, I want the highest bidder. Yeah. I want to maximize how much rent I can be collecting. Exactly. And so I think it's definitely a step in the right direction. Sure. I think that there's a lot of flaws. Yes. Um, but like I was talking about with Gia the other day, you know, there's always going to be flaws. Like there's no perfect plan. There's no Absolutely. perfect legislation. So Absolutely. I do think that it is, you know, a good start, but mm-hmm. I think that just the amount of backlash that it got yeah. is also just yeah. not a uh, promising sign, yeah. I guess. Definitely. I do think the one thing that I have to say that I do really appreciate about SB9 is that it got the conversation going, at least. Mm-hmm. Or I wouldn't say conversation, but it pushed the idea mm-hmm. that there is more to housing than only single family mm-hmm. or only a 50-story multifamily apartment yeah. complex. Now we're really getting into missing middle housing. Yes. Fourplexes, bungalow courtyard buildings. Yeah. You have, you know, lower density multifamily housing yeah. that honestly can be appreciated by single family homeowners because it's not a 50 story building in yeah. your neighborhood. Instead, it's an actual, it's a very low density mm-hmm. and can be possibly as high as a two story single family home. Yeah. So you're not really, you know, horrifically blocking views yeah. or really, you know, this BS of, oh, we're changing the character of yeah. the neighborhood. Like, I'm so tired of hearing that. Yeah. You know, you're not essentially doing that. And if you see, like, in Los Angeles, I'm at Sam's house right now in her apartment. I drive to park my car. I'm going past an entire street of single family houses. And then Sam's courtyard apartment complex mm-hmm. is right at the corner. And you really, like makes very little difference. Yeah. I, you know, it's just completely like fits nicely into the community. Yeah. It's not an eyesore as like everybody would claim, Mm -hmm. you know, a 20 story building to be. So I do think SB9 did touch upon one thing, Mm -hmm. which is we can start viewing Mm -hmm. multifamily complexes as more than just a high dense building. Yeah. And more so as like just a lower density project that can obtain or I'm sorry that can welcome like more than one unit yeah so I think that's one thing that I did admire about SB9 yeah I love living where I do Mm -hmm. um my complex has 16 units and it's split uh there's a courtyard in the middle and there's eight units on each side Mm -hmm. and there's two bedrooms and one bedrooms and that like Nat said there are single family homes everywhere around me except right across the street there's another apartment complex Mm -hmm. but I think I really appreciate where I live because there's both yeah there's apartments a lot of apartments but also a lot of single-family homes and Mm -hmm. so it's like a very you know nice nice area to live in be I think because of that yeah it's just just a lot of diversity in terms of options and housing Mm -hmm. options and I think that's what we need to start focusing on And I also think we need to stop talking about things as like, it's only single family housing or it's only like this huge- Like high rise, yeah. Yeah. Exactly, but that's what people think of when they think of multifamily housing. Yeah. They think, oh, it's gonna be like 
the biggest skyscraper in yeah. downtown LA because that's what we see in movies. But it's like, no, multifamily housing can be done in many different ways yeah. and it can be done quite successfully. And it should be. Absolutely. We should be diversifying how we think about yeah. meeting our, you know, arena allocations and yeah. just meeting housing needs in general. Definitely. So I think to, to sum it up, yeah. zoning is, you know, related to all this because it is, does indicate what can be built where. Yeah. And so with exclusionary zoning, that is just single family homes and that's all you can build and you have to have a lawn and you have to have a backyard and you have to have all these requirements. Mm -hmm. It can be very limiting in the amount of units you're able to build, the amount of people that you can fit. Exactly. And it is very, I think, problematic in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And we'll get into more of that next time when we talk more about the history of zoning and why it should be reformed. Mm -hmm. Um, There's this like movement to abolish zoning. And I don't know if I, I haven't looked enough at what it actually means. I've just seen it on, on social media. I don't know if I agree with that because I do think that there are, you know, safety and other kind of regulations that do for the most part aim to keep people safe, like separating industrial from residential and Mm -hmm. just those kinds of things. But um, we'll talk more about that next week. Definitely. I look forward to that. Yeah. So to conclude, we want to invite first anybody who is listening to write to us. And if you agree, disagree, have any like critiques or any comments, comments, feedback. Yeah. yeah. We totally invite that. We have an email. Um, I don't quite remember what it is at the moment. I think it's urban planning is not boring pod at gmail.com. It's also linked in our Instagram and our Instagram handle is at urban planning is not boring. And so feel free to reach out there. And then if you are so inclined and if you make it to the end of this episode, go you, we would love to hear your experiences that have either made you think kind of twice about the way that your city is planned or just think more generally about urban planning and it can be any sector it could be housing it could be transportation it could be like cultural um like arts and culture type Mm -hmm. anything really we are just curious if you've ever kind of looked around or had a specific instance or scenario that's really made you think about that Mm -hmm. um critically yeah sam and i would love to just dedicate an episode to reading them talking about them kind of unpacking them Uh i think it would be so interesting just to hear from other people and i was so blown away i was so excited to see like when i posted asking for topic suggestions just the amount of people that were like talk about this or this or you know things that i would have never thought about on my own yeah it was so nice to hear from you guys so i think we really want to just invite that conversation Mm -hmm. and for you to share your own personal experiences and stories i think it would be so amazing yeah so feel free to reach out we will be so excited you'll make our day if you write like truly it will make us so happy even one email yeah (laughs) just one sometimes i check our email and there's nothing and i'm like you know what that's okay (laughs) keep checking next check the next day not that i'm expecting people to email but uh just Just you know you never know know. what if someone's like we want to partner with you yeah stoked hello fresh is that you (laughs) so we'd like to introduce the sponsor of this video (laughs) just kidding Definitely not sponsored. Um, 
But yeah, that's that's about it. Yeah. So thanks for listening. Thank you guys. Rate us five stars. Yeah, please. <laughs> like we have four reviews on Apple Podcasts and they're all five stars. I so love it. I was pretty excited. Yeah. I was like, we have maybe twenty followers on yeah. Apple Podcasts and four reviews. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, I think so. I I'm just loving to see like our Instagram is growing. Yeah. We've got so much, you know, just interaction on our page. It just makes me so happy to see. I just love seeing everybody and what you guys are doing yeah. and you know where you're at in your life or in your stage of your career if it's related to urban planning or or if it's not it's just really nice to see yeah if you're people. not in urban planning why are you even following us yeah. <laughs> i'm just kidding we want everyone to be educated hence yeah. why we wanted to do this podcast so exactly. any of your non-urban planning friends send the send the, us to them and yeah. hopefully they'll learn something yeah thanks for listening thanks guys Thank you so much for listening. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode of Urban Planning is Not Boring. If you did, please remember to send us to your friends and follow us uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Remember guys, urban planning is not boring. No, it is not.